Next Chapter Podcasts. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. All right, I want everybody to picture this. It's 1977, last day of school. Kids are sitting in their classrooms waiting for the clock to ring so they can go home. The bell rings, and then this song comes on as they run out of the class. Come on. It's incredible. It was made for that scene. It's High School by MC5 of their 1970 album Back in the USA. It's also number 446 out of 500 on the Spotify original The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What is up, Fleece Army? How you bunch of schmoogly doogly katooglies doing? Thank you for joining me again on the only podcast that's going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums, starting at 500, working our way down to one. We're at 446, man. Dude, that's a lot of music we've been listening to. And this is one of those albums that gets you in your kachunka. Thanks to all the people doing the Instagram stories. I love you guys. Keep doing it, man. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers. And put a hashtag the 500 podcast and put that up on your Instagrammy stories and give us that 24 hour ad. Thank you to everybody that sent me birthday wishes. I'm 40, man. I know I look like I'm 60, but I'm 40, dude. Feels good. My knee hurts a little bit, but I feel good. Best my life has ever been. And a lot of that has to do with all of you. You guys are incredible. I love every one of you guys. I say it every week, but I mean it, man. This is so much fun to listen to this music and talk about it with incredible people. So, you know, thank you to Spotify. Thank you to JT. Thank you to Morty. Thank you to Pete. Thank you to Avery. Thank you to everybody. Emily, everybody that's helping out with this podcast, man, and and helping make this, this real, you know? Because I never really, I would have known MC5, but I only would have known a kick out the jams. I would have never known high school. I would have never known looking at you or, or any of the other songs on the record. So it's dope, man. All right, you guys want to find out a little bit about the record? All right. Released on January 17th in 1970 on Atlantic Records and produced by rock critic and future Bruce Springsteen manager and producer John Landau. This is the second album, but debut studio album by the American proto-punk hard rock band MC5. 
MC5 stood for Motor City 5, which was a salute to the band's Detroit roots. MC5 was formed in Lincoln Park, Michigan in 1964, with Rob Tyner on vocals, Wayne Kramer and Fred Sonic Smith on guitars, bassist Michael Davis, and drummer Dennis Thompson. They were a garage rock band with militant, leftist, and fiercely anti-establishment leanings. Musically, they were in contrast with their era's hippie peace and love ethos by paying homage to rock and roll's earlier, more dangerous roots, and also to the free jazz movement by explorative artists like John Coltrane and Sun Ra. By 1966, the teenage group became the house band at Detroit's historic Grand Ballroom and were managed by John Sinclair, the Flint, Michigan jazz poet, writer, and political activist. They became a part of Sinclair's trans love commune, and under his guidance, the band embraced the revolutionary politics of the Youth International Party, or Yippies, and the trans love commune morphed into the White Panthers, a military, anti-racist, socialist group of white people who supported the Black Panthers' mission for protection and equality for black people. Sinclair described the band's goal as a total assault on the culture by any means necessary, including rock and roll, dope, guns, and fucking in the streets. Their live shows were legendary, and the expectations for the MC5 were so high that before they had even had a record out, they were featured on the cover of the January 69 issue of Rolling Stone. After signing with Elektra Records in February of 1969, the band put out the live album Kick Out the Jams in an attempt to capture the high energy of those live shows. The album opens with the title song, but before they even started playing music, singer Rob Tyner says Kick Out the Jams, motherfuckers. Even though Elektra Records had edited a version of that intro, that got the record banned from many retail stores and contributed to them getting dropped by Elektra. As the notoriety and excitement of the band was pushing the record up the charts, they were without a deal. And in 69, John Sinclair was arrested for a drug bust, which helped to free the band from his overt political puppet strings, and they were scooped up by Atlanta Records. The band worked on their musicianship and then went into the studio with ex-Rolling Stone writer and first-time producer John Landau, who took over their management. Some hardcore fans thought they had sold out because Back in the USA was a two-polished garage pop record that flew by under a half an hour. Although it flopped and stalled on the charts at 137, it's gone on to be considered a worthy distillation of what made the MC5 so great. Back in the USA would be the second of the band's three albums before they split up in 72 in a haze of drugs and acrimony after 1971's High Time. And in 1975, both guitarist Wayne Kramer and bassist Michael Davis spent a few years in prison for independent drug-related arrests. All the members of the band continued to make music with varying degrees of success. Sadly, vocalist Rob Tyner passed away in 1991, and guitarist Fred Sonic Smith in 1994. The surviving members formed DKT slash MC5 and were active from 2003 until bassist Michael Davis died in 2012. Last year, Wayne Kramer celebrated the 50th anniversary of the first album with a tribute concert tour called the MC50. The legacy of MC5, both musically and through their politically conscious spirit, is notable in bands like The Clash, Rage Against the Machine, Bad Brains, and The White Stripes, as well as damn near every other punk rock group that ever existed after them. And today, my guest is one of the funniest people I know, my good friend, Adam Ray. 
You've seen him on Mad TV, the movie The Heat. You've seen him on American Vandal on Netflix. And he's currently the voice of Swiftwind on She-Ra and the Princess of Power on Netflix. Maybe you've heard him on his incredible podcast about last night with my boy Brad Williams. This was a fun episode because Adam knew about the MC5, but he had never really dug into them. So both of us were kind of discovering them together. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers and email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go. With number 446 out of 500, we're back in the USA by MC5. Adam Ray, he's Adam Ray, Adam Ray, he's Adam Ray, Adam Ray. You're not going to join in, you're just going to... I was waiting. I didn't know if this was your thing. Keep going. Here, I was waiting. I had a harmony all ready to go. He's Adam Ray, Adam Ray, he's Adam Ray, Adam Ray, he's Adam Ray. Oh, that was like a little canterish at the end. By the way, nothing more narcissistic than harmonizing your own name. I mean, it's great. Here, take this piece of matzo. I, like I, we just, I was the oh, canter. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> you brought the canter. I just I tried to take I the know. riff to the next level. I know, dude. Well, there's a, a part of every young Jewish boy that wants to sing at their own bar mitzvah. <laughs> All right, so so you weren't a big fan of MC5, no. right? Well, I, so my connection to it, and, and you asked me that off air, and it's, it's funny that, because look, there's so much music and there's so many bands and groups and that and there's a lot that I feel like I've heard of that I haven't that somebody then will go oh you know this song and I go oh that's them you know because I'm not and I joke about my act too I'm not good with songs and lyrics like I get into a tune because of the melody I got that whole stupid color me bad I want to sex you up joke and um but it's true so so but with MC5 it's I was uh I had a buddy's dad uh Len LaCasse and he would play just he w- he wanted to kind of uh, educate us on new music, and so every time we'd uh, carpool from little league and soccer practice, because um, my folks split when I was nine, so I uh, didn't have a lot of rights. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, and so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, stop, dude. Uh, divorce comedy. <laughs> and so um, so he was always just big on, like, wanting to show us new music. And he, like, got off on the fact that he knew all these bands that we didn't know. So he'd be like, you guys know these guys? And we're like, no. He's like, oh. <laughs> and so, by the way, he introduced me to Hootie and the Blowfish. What? Yeah. I think in the same week as MC5, which like, that was a good week. Listen to kick out the jams and now put on this one. Sometimes you're crazy. He's like, look, I got a rear crack for you, but I can see in the in the background, and it looks like little MC5 is coming up on the tail. <laughs> did you connect with uh, with MC5 when he was playing? It? I did, and here's why I connected with it. It was first of all, I love, and I have buddies all the way from you know first grade that would bug me because I like just, I mean, this is why I was probably so into Raffi. I like fucking upbeat. Feel good, like you know what I'm saying. Like even Hanson struck a chord at some point. Wait, I were glossing over. You're a big Raffi fan. 
Was. <laughs> it still is. Dude, down by the bay where the watermelon grows. I don't know any of this. <laughs> I, I don't, but I just know Rafi is like. What is it? Like, is it down by like the a, bay down where the watermelon grows? Uh, back to my home. I did not go for it if I do. My mama would say, do you ever take a, do you ever take a pill when, you, when, you're, when you're sitting on the... Down by the bay. He just skipped over a whole... It was inter- always something. Have you ever... That was always... His like, you know, insert new, have you ever? Yeah. And then it would be like, down by the... So, <laughs> so there got to a point in elementary school would be like, have you ever picked your nose and rubbed it on your teacher while she wasn't looking? Down by the... <laughs> we thought that shit was hilarious. That's great. Um, but so he played MC5 on a day where I scored. Soccer was never my sport. Basketball was always the thing, and then played baseball and, and football. It was, you know, casually football. But but your parents always wanted you to play soccer. Yeah, and I loved it. And it was it's the like, least violent sport for sure. And so many buddies play. And it was also, you know, being a fat kid, they're like, "This is probably where you can get the most cardio," you know. And then I ended up being goalie for a while. <laughs> of so course. fucking of course. of course. But I was a great dude. It was like I remember one of my buddies said once. He goes, "When I missed a ball mid game, he goes, just pretend it's pizza. You'll catch it." <laughs> so funny, like to say that, and you know, and so. uh so I scored on my own team that day, which was devastating. Because, I'm again, it's, like, not even my sport. So then I fucking fuck up. Yeah. And I remember running the sidelines and seeing another one of the dads. Won't say his name, but I um, go to the sidelines. And uh, and he just goes, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> By the way, I'm 10. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm 10. <laughs> You're supposed to treat the ball like pizza. You eat <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. You don't throw it away. And you my, eat the pizza. In my defense, it was a good shot. I was trying to kick it to the sidelines, and it just sliced around my buddy who was goalie, and I saw him in slow-mo try to dive and catch it, and I'm just like, I remember looking at the sidelines and seeing all these parents going, fuck, no. And it goes in, and we lost. Pizza, <laughs> it's pizza. You won't get ice cream now. <laughs> and so uh, after the uh, game, we're driving back, and he put on um, MC5, and so that's why when you sent me this, I was like, dude, I have a crazy first time hearing it. Yeah. And the high school song was so, like, I think we listened to most the album on the drive. And it was also one of those things where it was, like, so quiet because he had he'd made one comment before we got in being like, fucking could be scored on this. <laughs> and I was just like, again, you're a dad. I'm a kid. What are you doing? <laughs> you're shaping the uh, esteem. They the- did one of those things where they got in the car. They're like, wait, we got to wait for Adam. And you'd, you'd reach for the handle and they drive off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it, uh, you know, th- so hearing the like, took me back and I love a good sis boom ba. And so, so I, um, but again, I, I, you know, and I, I love the, um, that, that style that, again, that feel good, like, I don't know. I, um, you know, sweet chord progressions and like the harmonies are great. And like, I just track for track, man. It's just like every song has a way of, of having their own unique sound, but like feeling completely different. And um, I don't know, it just, again, it it, it caught me at a time when I was feeling so down yeah, and it kind of like immediately picked me up. So it was like scoring my own team. Yeah, I felt bad about that. But then immediately I was kind of like, oh man, these tunes are really doing the trick, which is like the beauty of music, music, right? Oh, 100%. But before we get into this week's episode, let's talk a little bit about Sonos for the Holidays. If you're wondering what to get your friends and family for the holidays or you just want to have that holiday party blowing up kid, the brilliant sound of Sonos is the answer for you. Play all your favorite holiday jams with the new home theater system. I put Sonos into my life about a year and a a little, little under a year ago. 
and it's made everything better. I have speakers in every room. I've got the subwoofer, so there's that woof. I've got the Sonos Move, which is incredible because you can move the speaker wherever you want, and it sounds better than every other portable speaker on the market. It's insane. The clarity, the bass, I love it. Plus, they've got speech enhancement mode. It's a new, unique feature that clarifies the sound of the human voice. Perfect for when characters whisper on television or if the action intensifies. Turn it on in the Sonos app and never miss a moment of the story. Or play all your favorite holiday jams when the TV is off. And guess what? Sonos works with Spotify and all the other streaming services. And you can also wirelessly connect all your speakers to create your perfect sound system. It's the perfect gift. The gift of crystal clear sound. Go to Sonos.com to complete your holiday shopping. And now, back to the gushplooky. All right, so let's dive into our record. Our album is 446 out of 500. It's the debut studio album. It's the second record, but the first studio album. Uh, Back in the USA by MC5, released January 15th, 1970. Produced by a name that's popped up here a few times, John Landau. Uh, you guys might remember him. Oh, what he, did he direct? He Mac and Me. No, no, no. <laughs> I know because there's a producer named John Landau that worked with like James Cameron. Uh, but this is actually the producer and longtime manager of uh, Bruce Springsteen. So why? So you listened to this record uh, a long time ago, and now now uh, it's extra special too because I was telling sure. you off air and yeah. if and not to get like, please you know. Uh, down and sappy but so a, a really good friend of mine um passed away maybe three days ago tragically falling off a roof uh had it, never had a seizure f- had a seizure fell off the roof hit his head on concrete his dad ran out heard him saw him fall then held him as he like died which is oh. just like you know that's horrible yeah it, it, it came in process at first of all because you're just like i mean i don't even you know there's certain ways of all the tragic ways of dying, you just think of like, you know, I don't know, sh- shark eating, drowning, you know, falling off a roof. I've never like, so you're just like, you know, and then part of you goes to like, what the fuck were you doing on roofs? You know, yeah. what do you help? But he's helping his folks out. And anyway, this is a, one of my uh, dearest, closest friends I've known since kindergarten. Had so many laughs together, so many. He was like, I was telling you, like, you need in comedy when you're getting going, unbeknownst to you, as you're starting to find that this is maybe a path you're going to take. Those people that make you laugh just as much as you make them laugh, they're kind of, they're good yes men, but they also, you know, they start to shape your your comedy. And, he, and we just, like, we were so kind of just in sync on so many things. And then recently... You know, reconnected even more because he wanted to jump into comedy. He was such a big fan. I was telling you, he, he you know, had seen the jam so many times, watched all the jam on, on Comedy Central. And, and so he was going to jump into, he just started doing, he did like three open mics. And so, because he was, you know, having some life changes and with things with his wife. And he's got a, you know, a six-year-old daughter. And oh. he was just, which was just crushing the dad game too. And, and anyway, so the timing of you like sending me this album, it's, it's again all kind of crazy how... How life works. Yeah, and just the timing of things. Because I was, I've been, you know, so uh, confused on how to like grieve. Because again, like, had grandparents pass, a, a friend in the eighth grade, which is just so young, you don't even know that people can die at that age. And so this album is like so, again, like just, I don't know, I feel like I start smiling. And, and he was known for a smile. And he even said to me in, in three days ago, uh, you know, or a couple of days before he passed, he was like, I got to take a stab at stand up, man, because like, li- he's like, literally, my favorite part about life is making people smile. I mean, I'm like, do you know you were going to die? Why are you trying to be so profound? 
like yeah he just was but he just loved this comedy that much and was like i gotta see if i can just try to be a part of it like that's how much he loved it and so that's what i'm trying to take away too from obviously there's the cliche like cherish every moment because the grieving i feel like it's going to come and go you know and and getting sad and trying to find things to you know on stage the first show after dude it was like electric and i was like fucking almost crying screaming up in the air at the end when people were just like when i was getting them hyped up at the end of the set and but like trying to find things to pull from him and to honor him, but also, you know, like I'm like, well, he was the way he was jumping into it. I'm like, well, maybe I need to be more fearless on stage. I need to do what he was doing right out of the gate and the way he was living his life, too, and the way he treats people. I'm like, I can pull from those. I think that's a an immediate way to try to, like, honor the person and, and keep them a part of you all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but again, to to this album, it's it was the timing of it was perfect because it was. It's just like, you know, a struggle to find some uh, joy because I just couldn't help yet focus on the uh, how awful it was. Yeah. And even though I my, you know, first memories was of, you know, hearing it in the car uh, from Lynn LaCasse being like, you fucking idiot. I can't believe you scored <laughs> on your own fucking team. Are you eating snacks back there? You I hope you get a McNugget burn, <laughs> you fat fuck. Good luck dipping Pop-Tarts in Cool Whip tonight. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, and so, uh, so the timing of it was just like such an uplift that I and needed. It's, and it's an uplifting album. I it mean, is. Which is funny because I was expecting Rage Against a Machine. Mm. This record was not that. No. It was fantastic. It's a fantastic record. I mean, this is 30 minutes of fun, but it's like, I think the, all the stuff that I thought I was going to get for them, it, it it wasn't. But just to go along with what you're saying, yeah. it definitely put me in a good mood. Yeah. It definitely, I was putting on when I was driving, I was putting on at the airport, which kind of made, you know, that a little bit more enjoyable because, yeah. you, you know, you just start looking at people and you're seeing a guy walk on beat and you're like, say, and he turns and looks at you and just goes, this boom, ba, and like lip syncs with it. And you're like, how did you know that's How did you know? He goes, I'm inside your mind. And I was like, really? Well, can I get early access? Like, Give me that Delta Lounge, baby. Give me something, please. This dude, is my any, jam, dude. Any album that has a song called Tutti Fruity, you're fucking, you're fucking young fat ass <laughs> would love this shit. All right, let's dive into the record. So I just said Tutti Fruity. That's the opening song. Uh, Peter, play the intro for me. The album opens with a minute and a half hypercharged Little Richard cover. Right. 
such a great song. Yeah. Very iconic. I use that word a lot, but this that's the only way to explain it. Tutti Frutti, you know, I, I associate it with Little Richard. The first thing that I noticed on this record is that there's almost no audible bass and it's it's very thin. Yeah. It's like this is this song is is rocking, but there's no like thump to it. It does and you feel like it does miss it a little bit, right? You want yeah. a little like I feel like every track could be assisted. I, a I'm, a, a I'm a bass boy. I know. Love the bass. Yeah. Uh, I did love this song uh, because it's about a flavor. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, coffee, toffee. Oh, sloppy. <laughs> coffee, toffee. Like, <laughs> Orange dream machine. Oh, yeah. Razzmatazz. Oh, I was, yeah. I was John Bajus could really take a fucking <laughs> note from Little Richard. If Little Richard was still alive and he did John Juice commercials, like oh he'd kill it dude. oh my god so so little richard uh was a huge huge uh inspiration to this band uh who was your first inspiration oh man musically yeah I guess oh, well just in in in, in life anything. and to um, get you to where you are now wow dude uh i mean look i'm a big muppet fan jim henson uh was probably i, I put i say chris farley jim henson Sinbad because it was the first stand-up I ever saw my dad showed me was obsessed and the Jim Henson it was just so I guess because I knew that I had this creative bone in my body and I was seeing someone do something that was just so bonkers and creating from at just out of no there was no there was no pre-Muppet thing it wasn't based on anything so he was just clearly it was all coming from his mind and that was that was so like eye-opening and just like overwhelmingly like I was in awe of just that and that's and it uh but it was inspiring because it was like as cliche as it sounds like the whole anything's possible that that KG screamed out when the Celtics won it's like uh it's like wow like it truly is because this guy and and I got so interested in his background and and how he even got to it because you see people that get that successful and you're like oh yeah he probably had all those Muppets just in his closet pulled them out <laughs> was like this is the Muppet show and, and now grab me Snuffleupagus <laughs> yeah yeah no dude it's like it all had to fucking build up yeah same thing when you see like Seinfeld you're like oh sure he was great from the get go or you know and some of these guys they all had yeah something extra special from the get go yeah but like a vision and it was like I just it all registered with me at an early age of like oh man this guy fucking sees the world differently and is trying to do something different and yeah. and he had these quotes even where he was like i want to that always stuck with me man that was uh i want to leave the world a little different for uh me having been there you know and i was like even as a fucking kid i mean again i'm like fucking probably you know crossing up my chocolate covered dip bars just fucking shoving them <laughs> in my gullet being like i'm gonna leave the world differently too maybe maybe make my own dip bar you know and uh <laughs> so so that that really uh, struck a chord, and uh, and then comedy wise again, Sinbad and Farley, and guys that just were fearless, you yeah, know? and that that were doing something so that I felt like I was seeing the only one of that, you know. I, I can agree a hundred percent on the Muppets. I mean, that was one of my earliest memories was watching the Muppet Show yeah. at my Bubby's house. So funny too. It's like there was so much adult humor looking back, and it was like just I don't know, and it was so it was you know, and, and the incorporation of like the. Actual like you know celebrity guest stars was so oh it's great I mean, no it was, John, like, it was, it was still... like talk show for kids yeah, to, to, you could find out about some of the big you were talking to some of the biggest artists whoever was popular the actresses actors of our time and the music was so good dude that my, one of the first records I had Rainbow all, Connection yes dude but how, dude how about I hope there's something I hope there's something better comes along from the Muppet movie I mean um, I think it's Joe Joe Raposo Rapazo he wrote a lot of the Sesame Street Muppet Show music and yeah. then. 
and I think all the wrote uh, Rainbow Connection, but that whole Muppet movie album, I mean, there's a song that Gonzo sings called I Hope to Go Back There Someday. It's like, it's gorgeous music, dude. Yeah. And the fact that they were, you know, having the Muppets sing these songs and having them sound so good, I was like, Jesus Christ. And then when they were riding bikes and the great Muppet caper, again, it was just shit that, that really I made me go. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. You know, it's funny, like, that you mentioned the Muppets because having watched you perform for the last, like, 10 years, I mean, with just the voices that you do when you talk like a dumb fuck where you're like, dude, you know, like yeah. the you have yeah. like and the songs and everything. That's that's a lot of stuff that I could see you pulling from being inspired as a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, dude, my my first even after seeing Sinbad, my mom bought me a VHS called uh, "Hey, You're as Funny as Fozzie Bear," which man, that's fucking that's a bold statement for for you know Fozzie. <laughs> by the way, very selfless just to be like, hey, I'm gonna teach these kids how to do stand up talking to the TV. Remember yeah. when there were tapes like that when it was like a, and so basically you would, Fozzie would go, hey, uh, hi. You know, he wouldn't say, I, I don't put down the pop tart, you fat fuck. But he was just like, hey. And then you'd be like, hey, Fozzie. And they had timed it out to where you would talk back. Yeah. And he'd be like, want to learn how to do stand up? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, follow these. St-. Like, like, what's your name? And you're like, Adam. And he the pauses you know, we're, we're timed out just enough to where you could feel like you were having a conversation. Yeah. Sometimes you'd say it a little too fast, so he'd be like, he's like, what's your favorite thing to do? And you're like, I like, um, well, so like my best friend's like, that's cool. And you're like, I didn't even finish I what I said. It's, yeah. I feel like you're, you're bullshitting me, Fozzie. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck, Are you dude? even paying attention, man? You, yeah, These dude. are my dreams. <laughs> hey, you're as funny as Fozzie. <laughs> hey, you're as much of a dick as they said you were on the back of the VHS. <laughs> All right, that then goes into second track on the record tonight. Uh, I love, I, see, I'm starting to love that thin production on this record. By this, So here, play the guitar solo yeah. at 117. <laughs> Dude, I love this. Like, this is where now I'm starting to really, by this point of the record, this is where I'm really starting to feel it. It's a bluesy boogie that starts the run of American Teenage Rebellion songs because that seems to be the big subject matter. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the subject matter of kids wanting to get out of school to go party and have fun had already been well-minded by Chuck Berry, the Beach Boys, and a bunch of other musicians. But what sets this one apart is what's buried in the verse after the first chorus. The, the terrifying reality that school-age boys in the late 60s were experiencing was the threat of the draft that could send them into the raging Vietnam War. Uh, Peter, play uh, 28 seconds in real quick. <laughs> Well, Tuesday got the letter. The army thinks I better get myself down there right away. It's not that I'm lazy. I'm just too crazy to go and doing things that way. What were some of your childhood fears? Oh, man. Um, not making it into the NBA. That was um, really something you were afraid of. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> you're so delusional as a kid and feel like you're so invincible that uh, – I don't know. Even when my folks split, I I wasn't like I was like, oh cool, I still get to see dad, you know, like so that wasn't like really a concern. Uh, I mean, dude, look, like making your uh, making your family, your folks proud. Like I knew how much of a gamble it was to like jump into this business and come down here, and and as much as you want to be headstrong and like 
have that delusional confidence of like, I fucking got what it takes. It's like, yeah, that was early on. And even when I was like doing plays in high school and even in middle school and started to realize like, oh, I think I'm going to try to fuck with this like for a career. Yeah, dude. I mean, the ultimate when you're coming up in an area too in Lake Forest Park, Washington, when nobody, I don't think we had anybody who did went in the business. The, yeah. <clears throat> you know, we had a few athletes that kind of did something but nobody that was like oh this guy's from there and so oh you can reach out to their family because you know their family because you grew up with their younger brother and so they've got they can give you some insights into how to get an agent or whatever just sure. nothing so it was uh so even more uh trepidation on just being like oh can i even do this because i feel so far removed so that fear was pretty early on because i uh I, there was so much i don't want to say lack of support and none from the family because they were just also delusional with me. But there were enough people that were like, you're going to do that, huh? Wow, that's a tough – a lot of that, dude. And looking back, you're like, Jesus Christ, these are supposed to be like my friends and friends' family and family of friends that were all just like, you're gonna, wow, that's a tough business. You're going to have a lot of – and then they give you the whole, like, you got to have a lot of uh, this. And you're like, oh, yeah, please tell me what I have to have, <laughs> have to have Larry you, French. Yeah, you know, What do you do again? Yeah. Uh, but but so, yeah, dude, and that, that fear I think still is there. Which I think now helps when you get older. You can control the for sure, yeah. The, the uh, you know the um, uh, insecurity of of not you know hitting and and getting the success that you however you view it. But uh, now I use it more as fuel to the fire. All right, this goes into teenage lust. This song is amazing. Now, while the hippies, one of my faves, while the hippies were singing about making free love amongst the beautiful flowers, this is the horny truth. I read that this song is the age-old story, like the Rolling Stone Satisfaction and the Who's I Can't Explain, of wanting to get some and not knowing how. What I love about this is you can hear damn near every teenage boy and some girls who started a rock band just to get laid. And I think this this little passage right here sums the whole song up. Uh, Peter, play two minutes in. I feel like I've said that same thing a million times. Come on, darling. Come on, baby. My teenage lust, it's driving me crazy. Uh, you said this was your favorite. One of them, yeah. This and um, and another one I'll, I'll speak to. But, yeah, I just, I mean, again, who can't uh, relate to the, the lusty teenage years, you know? What were you like? Uh, what was your teenage dating life like? Well, sixth grade, I remember uh, I was dating a girl named Janet Matta. And uh, first, uh, first girlfriend. We would talk every night on the phone for probably four to five hours. Listen to uh, the Lion King's uh, "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" and Oof. fall asleep together um, <laughs> in separate beds in separate houses. Um, but I was playing with myself. No, uh, <laughs> but so she uh, was first girl, and I was dude. I was in love, man. It was. It's so crazy to even think back at that age, like what else you're doing and thinking. But it's also the start of true. I don't know if it's lust. Um, because I definitely was more concerned about having a four-hour conversation with her than uh, performing cunnilingus on her. Oh, dude, I was all car. about the long phone calls yeah. back. But that in was the day. St- that was our version of lust, and and that was our that was you know I don't even know if I fucking I probably got I mean, dude, it was yeah I, I remember starting to be like whoa like fucking thinking about wanting to see her naked and things like that because but but not wanting to. Didn't have enough, again, chutzpah to, to follow through on making that happen. Sure. But I was just like, but yeah, yeah, lusting and love. I think they were intertwined. Um, 
seventh grade, obviously, that's middle school, so you start to get a little more savvy to what's going on. You're also surrounded by people that are just doing a bit more. Jesse Mose. Oh, Diedrich Calvin. I've talked. Diedrich Calvin, dude. dude they're going to be in the Young Fuckers Hall of Fame. He was, he was downstairs. We were at Lindsey Kelly's house, and Diedrich Calvin was downstairs with Lindsey, and then they came up after like 20, 30 minutes, and I, we went down there, and it just smelled like like Budussy, like, <laughs> like booty, dick, and pussy. It was like... Dude, and Jesse Mose had a, wore a wife beater and like jeans. He was like 6'2 in the seventh grade. Uh, oh, he was the eighth grade. I was seventh grade. And he had this weird cartoony goofy walk. So in my head, I'm like, dude, is that what girls are into? This guy with fucking like kind of a mullet. And he walks like a cartoon character, but he's apparently just crushing. Yeah. Donnie Thompson, another kid that went to town and told about it. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, we had Bobby Villani, Bobby Villani, Bobby Villani was dating a senior. When, and, and when he was a freshman, like that was huge. That was, she big. was so cute. Mark too. Bordner did that. It was a senior and date a freshman. Um, shit, who else, man? Mark Pantoliano. By the way, son of Joe Pantoliano. No way. Way. The actor from, yeah. from The Matrix? And Goonies. So let me ask you this. So again, love was like, yeah, and lust. It was middle school. You start to really go, all right, now hormones are racing. I'm around people and hearing stories. And everything just feels a little bit more plausible. School dances. Uh, dude, the first time I remember like. You know, grinding on a girl was Brooke Alcart, who I just ran into fucking like six weeks ago. Back, she's at, still doing it. She's still, that's what she does professionally. She's like, remember Casey and JoJo? <laughs> and I was like, dude, do I? <laughs> um, and uh, but it's like, dude, that time. So these, this song like encapsulates. I feel like, I mean, truly like a a, a time when like y- you'll never go through those types of feelings again, never. or feel that way again because it's so new and it's so scary and it's like you want to talk about a fear hiding my boner to dance in front of casey and jojo and brooke (laughs) (laughs) having the confidence to just be like i got a message from uh from keith sweat he said i could put this on the back of your knee for 15 minutes you know and then having the girl turn around and reciprocate and be like "Mm, okay that's the best there was so much humping that was not wet dude and i and dry as fuck dry as fuck dude i used to dj middle school dances and high school dances and let me tell you something did you have to the middle school kids 10 times more dry humpier than the high school kids so much humpier so much humpier so did you have to intervene would you have to scream over the mic and be like all right next coming up they would want me to by the way jason rogers if you could (laughs) stop straight up fucking kimberly swanson her parents are here chaperoning don't think you knew that trying to give you a heads up coming up next Jungle Boogie. <laughs> the only the only reason I would the only way I would stop it is if like a teacher would come up and say, "Yeah, that's enough of that music. Can you put on a little something?" And you'd yeah. be like, "All right, well, how about Who Let the Dogs Out?" They're dry humping <laughs> Who Let the Dogs Out. I, yeah, I can put on Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas." They're gonna find They're, a way they will to simulate fi- penetration. Life finds a way. <laughs> hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? 
<laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Perfect, perfect way to describe that song, because that's the way that I felt. All right, uh, the next song, Let Me Try. Uh, this one kind of sounds like the guy in the last song figured out the exact formula the chicks would respond to. Peter, uh, play 327. This yearning ballad of understanding is the longest song on the album at a little over four minutes, and its slow pace gives a nice dynamic tempo shift between all the other frenetic tunes uh, that barely reached the three-minute mark. Great song, but the one thing I have to say about this song is I was waiting for it to kick in with some power. It's just, it's just that, you know, that slow blues, which I love slow blues, but I just wanted a fucking, like, uh, great song. Um, I, I loved it. I mean, it's, you know, and I know it did feel a little stagnant, monotonous, whatever you want, like for a little bit. But once it goes into that, love that. So just the fact that I know that's coming around the corner made me uh, deal a little bit, uh, you know, better with with just the. Because <laughs> I'm like, here it comes. I love that. So let's take it to this. Have you ever gone crazy or done something crazy for a girl? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I've written uh, I've written songs. I've uh, here's what's crazy. I did. I was dating a girl uh, after college who was living in New York and I did long distance for almost three years flying back and forth. I'd work at Universal Studios Hollywood playing Wolverine, doing the Backlot Tour, hosting the Fear Factor live show, where I said, what the fuck, after a guy projectile vomited on me and was scolded by my boss because, like, you said fuck in front of 1,500 families and children. I was like, Michael, with all due respect, guy projectile vomited on me. What did you want me to say? Like, is that all you got? It's like, I literally was like, you know, they're doing these weird, the Fear Factor live show was a, a fair play on the real, you know, the stunts were not as crazy as all, but they'd find people in the park for, to win a T-shirt, which fucking they didn't know till the end. Otherwise, half of them would have been like, the fuck? I just drank bull piss. I just and did all of that. Raccoon comb. Yeah. And it's a small. <laughs> you don't have a medium? It doesn't even fit. <laughs> so I would fly back and forth with all my Universal Studios money. It was crazy, dude. This was, I was, this was like, I was barely getting by by taking all my money and putting it into flights to go... And cabs and all that to go see this girl for three years. And then she ended up moving to Reno. We did a little bit there. And then uh, uh, and then she fucked a camera guy. And, uh, and that was that. And it was a top story. No. All right, that brings us to Looking At You. Uh, this was a cleaner remake of the band's second single from their 1968 album. And I love this song. Uh, play the first guitar solo at 32 seconds. <laughs> I 
I love all the guitar solos in this song. Now, the aptly nicknamed drummer, Dennis Machine Gun Thompson, rattles in with a quick drum fill into fuzzbox guitars and shakers and another insistent and angular vocal. This is about being on stage with the lights and sound and thinking it's all enough until you see that person in the audience that feeds you a higher dose of energy and makes you see that there's more. Tell me your favorite moment you've ever had on stage because of the audience. Um, so I did a uh, I did a gig in Paso Robles with Brett Riley. He was uh, living up there for a while, and then he went back to produce a show at the uh, in the upstairs of a bar, and uh, and it was a rowdy. It was my first like bar show, also for a show that wasn't a bringer show or a open mic that was like a paid audience. In a place where comedy was not happening, they were fired up. About 300 people packed in the upstairs of a bar that they had really, uh, you know, made conducive for comedy. You know, any sort of bar show, you're like, TV's got to be off. There's got to be good sound. People got to be respectful. No daiquiris being made. Yeah, no, no, nothing with a blender. Exactly. No, uh, and the bar should, hopefully people are sitting there and not just turned around talking loud and being respectful. And it was all that. And um so uh, I go up and I'm doing about 30 minutes, which is the most time I've ever done. And again, I work at Universal Studios, so a lot of my material is about working there. And people are getting pretty fucked up and wine and booze and everything's flowing. And uh, and this woman in the corner, the crowd was so rowdy, but then they were so like respectful. It was a really crazy blend of them being, if they were, they wanted to fucking laugh really hard. And then, you know, you do a little crowd work and get a little rowdy, but then like, if you dealt with something, it would kind of get controlled and they'd level back out and be like, all right, give us more jokes. So it was weird. It was very, it's just exciting. And uh, this woman in the corner kept being real obnoxious towards the last like eight minutes of my set and starting to slur and yelling some stuff. And then uh, and at one point she was like, can you give, give me a kiss? And I was like, should I give her a kiss? And I was like, fuck yes. I was like, Jesus, the people have spoken. So I walk over there. She like just weirdly slobbers. Kind of just licks the side of my face. I make some crass, you know, joke about like, well, I think I just got gingivitis, gingivitis <laughs> and AIDS in one lick. You know, <laughs> some so stupid and blue, and uh, and people ate it up, <laughs> and uh, and then I go back, and people, she could feel that the laughter was definitely directed towards her. So now I'm, I walk back to my spot. She's about 15 feet away to my left, and I'm looking down, thinking about my next move, and I see her kind of do like a. a downing a drink real quick and then i see her hand slowly raise up with her wine glass and it was like one of those things you see in the peripheral uh, in your peripheral vision and you're like can't completely register what's happening so i'm still kind of looking down and be like ah what what this is crazy you know thinking my next thing and then i just see before i can really determine what is happening to my left i just see again in the corner of my eye that motion like the pick like the raising of a hand with a glass and then the chucking motion and i'm like Holy shit, I think she just threw a wine glass at me. And again, didn't even have the wherewithal to like turn or duck. I just, you know, fight or flight, you react. You're not going to react to that. Sure. I just kind of put my hand up like that. And the fucking base of the wine glass, swear to God, Brett Riley can attest to the story, which was on tape. The base of the wine glass hits the like palm of my hand and somehow like the, the circle base of the glass like sticks to like the webbing of my hand so basically sticks for a no. half a beat so all i have to do is just be cognizant enough to close my fist around it so that i snab a <laughs> fucking wine glass out of midair so once i do up, that Neil? it just Jesus. goes like boom and then i went like that and grabbed it and then when i realized i grabbed it i slowly turned to it like 
couldn't even plan my reaction. I just like was like that, and then I felt people go, "Oh shit!" And then I just went, "Ah!" and held the wine glass up, and everybody just goes, "Fucking!" It was like the roof blew off the fucking bar, dude, and everybody went nuts. And then I started to do a little weird dance, and then people were laughing, and I was holding it up, and I was like, <laughs> and then, and then, then I just ate the, the glass. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. go, oh, not what we expected. <laughs> Don't do that. You know, I'm from Fear Factor <laughs> live. <laughs> So I walk over to her. I slit the set the glass down in front of her, and I go, "I told you I'm Wolverine, bitch. Don't fuck with me." Place goes nuts again, and then they escorted her out. And I did about three, four more minutes, and then, uh, and then that was that, dude. And it was, but the, I mean, again, the crowd was, you know, we've all had some crazy crowds since. It's but palpable. Like, the energy in the room was just it was special, dude. It was unreal, and they were so on my side. And again, being that inebriated, but that uh, collective and like on board with everything, and so. To where it wasn't just that should have been drunk mayhem after that, but I was still able to do a few more minutes and close out and be like, "This was um." And it was also the first taste of a outside of L.A. show, sure, which is big. People don't understand when you're getting going in stand up, you need those reps that are outside of your bubble and what you've been doing. Because also you're like, you know, there's I'm sure there's a part of me being like, "Dude, if I can make the people of Paso Robles laugh, <laughs> what's next? I can make it anywhere. I can make it anywhere." <laughs> All right. Uh, that goes into high school. Uh, mm. Classic anthem. Classic. Play six seconds in, brother. Come on. I know this is hard to believe, but this is another school kids want to get their kick song. Great song. Uh, not my favorite on the record. Uh, it does have the sis boom ba part on it that we love. Can we play a little bit of the sis boom ba? Again, I love a sis boom ba, and I love the uh, the playfulness. I mean, even like the school's out for summer. There's so many like the vibe of. Is, is this and I, again I'm trying to remember like the lyrics but is it speaking to like the end of high school or is it just high school in general Kiss- no, well it's really here he goes the only way they only want a little excitement they like to get a little out of hand I think it's just about you know when you are just wild as a kid because yeah. that was exciting it was you know what I mean those were some of the best times of my life you feel just, invincible exactly I, it'd be great if kids if you heard kids getting into like this is like they're like if there's somewhere in 2020 the end of high school kids putting this on driving away from school you know this is what you know what you made a good point this this now that I hear this and now that we've talked about it this song is a montage song in like a 1970s teenage romp yeah do you know what I mean yeah of like it could be it could have been in fucking dazed and confused like with the with the the paddles when they're like chasing the kids down yeah. it just has that that vibe to it. All right. Call me animal. Uh, I love this song. Yeah. Play uh, 18 seconds in. Call me animal. That's my name. Call me animal. I'm not a say. Call me animal. This is how I'm willing. Animal. This to me sounds a little bit like the who from what I've heard of like early who this has a very who feeling. It's not, you know, it's not as memorable, but it's still a good song. It was. Now, here's my question for this. If you died and can come back as any animal ever, which one would it be? Chester Cheeto. Next question. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I don't need it. Dude, up. if I want to be an animal, I also want a job and I also want uh, some sort of branding opportunity. <laughs> 
you're a fucking genius, dude. Because I would have been like, ah, I want to be a rhinoceros or some shit like that. No, and you're dude. like, no, dude. Well, that's the PC answer. Yeah. I want a chain-smoking, <laughs> raw dog fucking <laughs> snack tiger. Dude, you know Chester Cheetah was a fucking player. He fucked Lil Debbie. You know he did. <clears throat> Who do I want to party with? Also would be Chester Cheeto. Who do I want to name my kid after? <laughs> Chester. And then he goes, who am I named after? I go, sit down. It's going to be a long <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right. Uh, that then goes into the American Ruse. Uh, this great song. Incredible. Yeah. It's political. It's rebellious. It's smart. It's angry. It's thoughtful. And it's woke as fuck. Like, you can tell uh, from the lyrics. Uh, these lyrics just, like, as soon as I heard them, they just made me think. Peter, uh, play 105. All right, Shaken Street. Uh, this sounded nothing like anything that I had ever heard by uh, MC5. I almost had like a Bob Dylan feel to it. Totally. Uh, Peter, play Good the call. first verse. All right, so the reason why uh, it has that Bob Dylan sound to it is because it was written and sung by guitarist Fred Sonic Smith. It's about a utopian place where all the kids can meet and keep on rocking. It's where they're leaving when they're when they're sis boom bon out of high school. Where are they headed? To Shaken Street, baby. <sighs> I love the idea of a destination where everything's happening, you know? I it's mean, like in London, when I studied abroad there, they had a place called Camden Town, which was like the street of shops and restaurants. There was a fucking virgin record music store, but then there was a cool kebab place and a weird corner where I tried to buy weed from a guy, turned out to be ecstasy, stole my money. Um, <laughs> and ecstasy turned out to be like fucking, I think, Flintstones vitamins. We yeah. just got, you know. Uh, but I just love the, you know, what did it say? It was like, Shaking Street has got that beat. Shaking Street, it's got that beat. Shaking Street, where all the kids meet. Shaking yeah. Street, it got that sound. Shaking Street, say you gotta get down. Yeah, dude. Also, the idea of just shaking, like that's like that was their way of describing like that things are because everybody in the band was epileptic. <laughs> everybody. But you know what I'm saying? Like that's like they're like it's like what's shaking? Like people used to say that. Like what's shaking tonight? Or like, oh, you're shaking. I mean, this party's shaking. Like we're. we're where? Dude, where do you think? Shaken Street, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got two songs left, and I think they saved two of the best songs for the end of the record. Uh, we've also come to what I think is the best song title on this record, The Human Being Lawnmower. It's great. This last original on the album is harrowing and horrifying. Sounds like what happens after you try to uh, human centipede and it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, They're yeah. like, well, what else do we do? We well, lawnmower them off. How many people are here? 15? <laughs> we can do the lawnmower. Well, it, this what I liked about this song is that it felt like several different musical ideas kind of spliced together. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I can't believe that they got all this shit in under two and a half minutes. I can't uh, believe it's not butter. Cause they, that's Sorry, funny, dude. Because they take you on this roller coaster ride. Yeah. Now, it's about the military-industrial complex with a little dig at the Bible thumpers as well. Once again, imagining the cloud of fear hanging over every young man's head at the, the time of being sent to war really must have done a number on them. Wow. Uh, the climax of the song, where the title is introduced, followed by the staccato and brutal description of its violent destruction of the innocent, is a gut punch. Peter, play 202.
that's just intense. Yeah, that's a that's a dude, that's got a lot of uh, fucking aggression. A lot of aggression. Have you ever gotten into fights? Oh yeah. Um, man, I first fight I ever got into was in I was uh, with my buddy's soccer team in Austria, and uh, it was maybe a few months after nine eleven, and uh, these guys were like taunting us because they knew we were American and then started it was like this big street fair and it was like at night and everybody was fucked up and, and um, this guy started chanting like Bin Laden Bin Laden and all that and dude I mean again we're like high school amped up hormones emotions but also like very patriotic at this point and just like fucking like it was yeah, just crazy it, it, was, it was really intense in America oh time, yeah dude and people that were even not because you felt the uh the the uh, the unity that happened in the country. So you're you know, and you also kind of felt it all over the world. You're like everyone just was, um, you know, grieving for what happened. Uh, you felt like on the same uh, wavelength, and then all of a sudden, people that were coming at you and like kind of like supporting it. It was just like, oh man. And, and I remember these guys were in our face, and and um, I remember just saying like, I was like, dude, you gotta just stop, or like this is not gonna go well. And and I was just the right amount of drunk to. Control my emotions, but also, like, be like, fuck it, dude. Like, so uh, I was like, dude, if he says one more thing about, like, fuck America, I'm just going to, like, lose it. And he did. I kind of tried to, like, turn my body, and it was like, and he just did. And I just turned in one motion. Didn't even, like, think to, like, clench a fist or whatever and just turned and fucking connected right with him and fucking knocked back. Didn't knock him out, but, like, man, it fucking... I mean, it hurt so bad. Sure, but connected right in his face, man. Like right on the t- like right here on top of like in his temple and in between his eyes, and felt good. And then his two buddies jumped on me, and then it was just like a, you know, there's so many people, so it was like not. It didn't clear the whole party out, yeah. but then our buddies started fighting. We all kind of had a, like a an Austrian street scuffle, Fuck if you will. Yeah, it was kind of cool, man. Looking back, but but I but it was also like, yeah. I mean, what was I? It was crazy to not have control of that. There was no part of me that was going to be like, let's just go back to the hotel room. These guys don't I know mean, you were amped. These you guys were, don't mean it. You <laughs> They're are probably a- talking about Ben Laden, not Bin Laden. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that uh, that's the, that I mean, you know, in a few fights with buddies uh, since, but but nothing. You're just, nothing I don't like I don't see, I mean, I know that you can fight, but I just don't see it. Like, you don't seem like you have I don't anger look for, in It's you. also like, I just know, I've seen and, and, uh, and heard of, like, fights that, you know, when they, where things have just gone so poorly for people like facial fucking, you know, or, you know, kidney, th- you know, things happen where you're just like, and afterwards and the people are always just like, yeah, like no one's ever pumped about like, I'm glad I did that. So if yeah. there's ever a moment where, unless it's family related, dude, I probably won't even think twice about it. Yeah. But also this, this day and age, it's like, I get apprehensive to even honk at somebody if they fucking cut me off. Oh, like, it's anytime you get, I don't get, I the go to worst anymore. case scenario to someone just turning around with an Uzi being yeah. like, was that your Hyundai Sonata? <laughs> I don't drive a Sonata, but I just wanted to give him a shout out. All right. Uh, the album ends with Back in the USA, the title song. Uh, play 17 seconds in. Well, I feel so good today. We just cut down on an international runway. Get back home from overseas to the USA. They 
end the album with a pretty faithful cover of Chuck Berry's 1959 song. Uh, it's a little bit on the nose, uh, but given that the Beatles sort of parried it in back in the USSR just a couple years earlier in 68, it could have been freshly on the band's mind to flex their patriotism despite their views on the U.S.'s many flaws. Fun way to end the record. Uh, thoughts on this song? I mean, look, again, we've uh, we've had a handful of USA anthems over the years. Um, I put this in my t- I put this in my top two for sure. Fuck yeah, dude! Uh, Party in the USA by Miley is it's number one for you. It's not number five. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's right. not number one. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. What other ones are there even? Uh, uh, We're Coming to America by Neil Diamond. Oof, that's good. That's like, might be my number one. And if you're going uh, for the patriotic then angle. Then you can be proud, to, proud be to be American. Where at least I know I'm free. This one, though, also feels like a good, like, I don't know, end of a, you know, like end of your comedy special walking off, thanking people, like sure. a fun, or, or the opening song at like a, if, like you know, do you ever have skating parties in elementary school, or even just the like the two songs before the uh, before they were gonna put on um, you know SWV Week in the Knees for like, hey, this is a girls ass guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was like two songs before that. There was one more big pump up one where everybody could have a good time, you know. The dads <laughs> could grab their stepkids and and mm-hmm. the uh, the mistresses could you know fucking hold hands with a teenager and. And everybody was <laughs> okie dokie. Okie dokie, <laughs> Do you want to do some facts and we'll get out of yeah. here? All right. Uh, facts, facts, all facts. Facts, facts, all facts. Besides political groups and riots, the band even attempted to start their own religion called Zenta. It was during the two nights of Zenta's New Year of 1968, which we all recognize as that year's Devil's Night and Halloween, that they recorded their first album, Kick Out the Jams. Uh, what hijinks did you get into as a kid? Did you like egg houses or teepee? Or... Oh, yeah. Uh, egged. Got teepeed more than I uh, teepeed. But really? We got into a good teepee war with Aaron Zabukovec. Um, and yeah, she was the first boobs that I touched. She was the first <laughs> boobs that I touched, but not with my hands, with my chest. She was the first <laughs> boobs that I touched. Cause it was the eighth grade dance. Yeah. And, uh, and she was like, I think I was maybe, I don't know, five ten in the eighth grade. And she was six, three, Jesus, Christ. maybe six, two. That sounded big when I said it. <laughs> she was fucking Six Sasha Vujicic size. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say it's like that's like uh, that's tall. Brittany Grainier, yeah. the fucking girl that plays for like. Does yeah. she play for the Seattle team? No, uh, for the Suns, I think. Okay. Mercury. Um, dude, look how do I look know at that? you? You know about you know the Brittany WNBA? Grainier. Yeah. Um, we were dancing, and she was like, her boobs were like right in. They were just right at chest level, but um, but she and three other gals, Nicolette Dresback, Diana Kiefer, and. Uh, 
Nikki Cox. Yeah. They were like the hot eighth grade girls, man. And they had crushes on a couple of my buddies that lived in my neighborhood. And Dinah lived in the neighborhood. So they would go over there. And then we'd be at one of our houses. And we would all kick it. And then we'd disperse. Some of the girls, I think, maybe, I think Barrett Speller got a hand job from Diana. Anyway, um, <laughs> dear diary. Uh, and so then they would teepee my house always. I don't know why. My mom was like, it's because they like you. Now go out and clean that shit up. But mom, it's five in the morning. Get the, <laughs> get, fuck, get out the there. fuck out there. Also, you know, it's just my mom and I. And Lee, we had these fucked up trees that just dumped leaves like they were fucking... Almost like they were just like, is that the Jew house? Fucking like anti-Semitic <laughs> trees that were just like fucking put. Because it was our house. Who's always our gardener, had- Breitbart? <laughs> we always had so many leaves. And my mom made me rake all that shit. And, I, and just bags and bags. And they would always time it out to right before we would take these bags of leaves to the dump. They would teepee the house and then empty. And there probably was 23 bags of leaves, dude, all over the house. Oh, was my blood bubbling, dude. If they had said something about Bin Laden, I would have fucking punched them in the... It was like, I was fired up. And so uh, I was working at Albertsons, right? Just started working there. And I went down. I was like, fuck it, guys. We got to retaliate. And we went down. And I go to my manager, Eddie Lord. Shout out to Eddie. You're the man. And uh, Stills the man. And I go, dude, I got to get revenge on Zabukovec and the girls of the eighth grade. And he was like, say no more. He's like, what do you need? I was like... I need like 230 rolls of toilet paper. And he's like, got it. <laughs> I mean, must have paid. I think he pulled out some cu- coupons where it was just like, oh, you had the fucking uh, two for 535 toilet paper. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> you know? And so we get them all and we walk in the middle of the night from uh, Avery Garmeyer's house, which is across the street from mine, to her house and teepeed every one of these fucking 235 rolls. And she had big ass trees and we were so good at throwing it up and getting them to catch and come back. And um, and they stopped teeping after that. Um, that was it. Because it was devastating. And I mean, they were at school and they were like, like, why would you, how could you do that? And I was like, you guys dump bags of leaves on my house. Like you fucking, it took me two days to, to do that yard work and you undid it all in one sitting. And they were just like, how could, and I was like, hey, tit for tat. Like, are we done? Like, are we good? And, and then they stopped. And, uh, and then I think we did some egging. We also did the uh, driving by and picking up the garbage cans outside yeah. of my mom's minivan and then dragging them for a little bit and throwing them into another garbage can. Yeah. Harmful shit. I mean, harmless stuff. Looking back, like, hey, man, you woke up and your garbage can is nine houses down and all the contents are uh, exposed, you know? And who knows what was in that, that can? Maybe that was where the dad was like, hey, I put the, you know. My- throwing out his old Playboys. Old and Playboys. And, and he's like, and I told my wife I wasn't having, you know, pot pies. And, like, there were 16 boxes of Marie Cows in there, you know? All right. Uh after opening for musician and poet Patti Smith, MC5 guitarist Fred Sonic Smith hit it off with her, and the couple were married in 1980 until his death in 94. Besides collaborating musically, they had two kids together. Their son Jackson Smith was married to Meg White of the White Stripes from 2009 to 2013. Who is the most interesting person in your family? Oh, man, interesting. I mean, the mom's the coolest. She just because she's a G, you know, single mom, four jobs from fucking eighth grade all the way through high school. Um, you know, once she married my stepdad, always wanted to be a, a, an actress, so she was living vicariously through me. Started doing all this community theater in Seattle, 
because my stepdad was like, I got you now. Go fucking do what you wanted to do, you know? Yeah. Because my grandpa didn't tell her not to, but just was like, you can be able to support yourself. So it kind of discouraged her from doing it. So she ended up doing all these weird shows, did the vagina monologues like eight times, then stopped and said, I'm done. I'm vaginaed out, she even said. <laughs> and then she fucking they, this uh, rep theater that's, uh, that was a little bigger called her and she came back. And I was like, Mom, you're like the Brett Favre of vagina monologues. <laughs> they, you they, fucking, they, <laughs> you retired. They called you they, to come back. For Tina's one, injured. For what? <laughs> we need somebody. <laughs> if you haven't seen your mom uh, do the, I don't know what it's called, but something about like, my wet pussy's flooding with jet. I'm paraphrasing, but it was. It was a graphic oh my. monologue, and uh, I'm sitting there with my sister, and we're just like, but my mom was so good, yeah. which was fucking awesome, because yeah. it was like, oh, man, she's putting, but she just didn't, I see where I get it from. She's natural, and but also, you like, for a second, you get lost in the- uh, My juicy lips <laughs> you're like, encompassed yeah. his It was a trade-off. Penis. It was a trade-off of her being like, and I didn't think, times when your life, wait. You second guess and you're so locked in you're like god damn mom is crushing it yeah and that's when both my pussy lips said <laughs> well they clap together and they your pussy lips can clap if you work hard enough and you're just like god damn it thanksgiving <laughs> give will this never be the same again <laughs> give this woman the tony because <laughs> she, she deserves it give her the yeah so um so your she, mom i think so dude she just biggest champion and and also later in life she's just like when you stop seeing your parents as parents and see them as people dude it's so much more fun and thank god i was able to do that wish i did it earlier you know and wasn't so too cool for school in high school but you got it it doesn't take a difference but, I mean, when she, it hits you but just it hits you yeah. that's great so man. my mom man she's she's a g interesting fascinating hilarious and kind oh i love your mom yeah she loves uh, you. Oh, but i have to say this because we you hit on earth the goddamn I, comedy I, we were at <laughs> we're in seatle doing doing here hold on we're in Seattle doing uh, doing Bumber Shoot, and I'm on stage, and we're doing the jam. So and right Tiffany Haddish had done. Um, yeah, uh, Tiffany went up. Did uh, it was or, you, Dancer Main, Dan Jane Saint Germain, and Tiffany. Yeah, and I'm on stage. I think Adam, either you, it was the big finale, yeah. right? Yes. And smaller crowd because we were going up against like Tame Impala, yeah. and so it's the it's a final song. Everybody's standing. I'm I'm like I'm getting everybody's like feeding off their energy. They're feeding off mine. Great. And there's this adorable woman wearing red glasses yeah. like Late Bruce 60s. Valanche. <laughs> Sitting in the front, like rocking, and I just point at her and go, "I'm gonna fuck the shit out of you," and I don't think she. And she was just like, like yeah! "Yeah!" She didn't. Let me check with George. <laughs> she didn't say anything. She was just like, she was like, "Fuck yeah!" And then you, you like leaned over. You go, "That's my mom," yeah. and I go, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, dude. All right, final thoughts on the album. Oh man, um, I'm glad it's look. It's I'm glad it's back in my life. And I think it's going to be a, again, the timing of it all with my buddy passing, it's a, and, and trying to like make sense of all that and have things to latch onto and like pull from and find ways to honor. It definitely, in a weird way, is now because I, you know, uh, had been listening to it before it happened and after. So now it's kind of all wrapped together and, and kind of synonymous. And when I, even just listening to it on the way over, and I'm still fresh into thinking of him nonstop, but they're definitely locked in at this point. So, um, I mean, you know, you can't get more, uh, have a piece of music be more, uh, you know, attached to you forever. Um, 
but again, man, it's had that not happened, uh, I still would uh, would have this album be in my top top of again like driving airport on the way to auditions. Any song on this album, I think would I would put in uh, my wake up start the day tune. Yeah. And that, to me, says a lot about a piece of music. If yeah. you want it to be the first thing, it's like in a relationship. If you look over and you like the person you see right away, that, yeah, that's a fucking, that's a good sign. Same thing for a song. If it comes on and you're like, God damn it, or you're like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And I feel like uh, every track on this album has that vibe. I couldn't agree more. I think this is just pure rock fun in yes. your face, yet, yet, like, just, just... I don't like to get too cerebral with my music. No, it's just, but just the song, everything on this record, it just, it just goes into the next song perfectly. Uh, if you haven't listened to this record, listen to it, because yeah. it's fan fantastic uh it's Adam, a lot of fun this was great dude thank I, you so much I had such buddy. a blast thank you brother the one and only adam ray for all things adam like his tour dates head over to adamraycomedy.com find him at at adam ray comedy on all social media Check out his podcast about last night with Brad Williams anywhere you get your pods. It is a laugh, riot, kushplugel. Also, he has a new comedy music album coming out on December 13th. You can pre-order it starting November 29th. It's called Songs for the People. Adam is hysterical. Get the record. Songs for the People out December 13th. Pre-order it November 29th. And if you want to see Adam and myself live doing stand-up comedy together, I'll be with Adam at the D.C. Improv in Washington, D.C., Go Nationals, December 27th through the 31st. I'll also be posting Adam Ray's Spotify mixtape. And for all things 500, like those mixtapes, you can find it at our website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com and follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And also, please subscribe to The 500 on Spotify or if you're listening to it on Apple, leave a review. Now, we just listened to MC5 from 1970. For new music this week, art music director Matt Pinfield selected Fever 333. The Fever 333 are a political three-piece from Inglewood, California, who were nominated for Best Rock Performance at the 2019 Grammys. They cite the MC5, Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy, and Black Flag as their influences. Their new single is Burn It from their new album, Strength in Numbers. Check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, Send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Steve Miller Band Week with their 1976 record, Fly Like an Eagle. So y'all got some homework to do. Stay fleecy, be a kadoo. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Next Chapter Podcasts.